0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn his truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Philemon, verses 8 through 16. Philemon, verses 8 through 16. Very brief book, only one chapter long. We've been dealing with this. This is our third week. And we're looking at how God intervenes in so many different ways. Follow along with me as I read this passage, Philemon, chapter, uh, well, verses 8 through 16. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the age and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful for both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that uh, on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by a compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this purpose, for this reason, separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful for the truths of your words that we can preach and proclaim each Sunday. But Lord, we pray that you'll help us to spend time each day in that intimate time of prayer, allowing your Holy Spirit to speak to us so that your words become alive to us and we can live them out in our daily lives. Lord, help us to understand these words uh, of Paul to this man named Philemon. Help us to understand his heart as he shares. Lord, guide us in our study today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We really have two, two pretty powerful men that we're talking about here. We have Paul, who is a, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He has all the, all the accolades that he could possibly have about his uh, position in life, his authority, and what he should be able to do. He could demand respect and obedience because he had that authority. But then we also see a man named Philemon, also probably a prominent man in society. He lives in a very small town or city called uh, Classe. It had had its greater days earlier, but it had suffered an earthquake and had never really recovered from that. But he seems to be a wealthy man. We know that he owns at least a slave. And our picture is that Philemon probably made many travels to Ephesus, which would be the largest city close by to conduct business. And it was there that he happened upon Paul. Paul led him to Christ and discipled him. And he returned to Colossae with a heart for the Lord. And by doing so, he opened up his home for the church there. And so we see these two men, both in prominent positions. So how do you deal with leadership positions as a child of God? Do you... Go through the you know, MBA programs and figure out you know, how you can demand respect and obedience and be that iron-fisted dictator of a, of a leader? Or do you look at the biblical examples? Do you look at those who see concern and humility and even equality with those that they serve with? Well, I've seen both. In my younger years, I worked for both Wendy's and Kroger, and we had a variety of different uh, managers that we worked for. Some of them loved to sit in their office and dictate what needed to be done. Others got out on the floor, especially at Wendy's. You know, they were part part of the, the crew, and so they were always there, you know, by your side. Some of them, again, were more dictators. Others were very encouraging and helped you to feel like you were accomplishing something and praised you when you did something right. And at Kroger, again, had some that loved sitting there ivory towers is what you call, we call them sometimes. And then there were the others that were always on the floor and they were chatting uh, with you and finding out what's going on and seeing if you had everything that you needed to accomplish what you were supposed to do. And every now and then they would roll up their sleeves and help alongside of you. Oh, let me ask you, which ones do you think you probably work harder for? The ones who were willing to be down on the ground with you and, and, and show that you're, they're part of the team. But look at Jesus, the greatest, most powerful man in all of history, the greatest leader ever known. How did he deal with others? I think the greatest example we have, he called his disciples together one time, and he noticed that nobody did something. And so he picked up his robe, tied it around his waist, picked up a basin of water and a rag and washed his disciples' feet. That's leadership. That's showing how you want others to live. And that's what Jesus did. He modeled leadership and he modeled what we need to model. Humility, love, willingness to stoop down and do the work that nobody else wants to do to see yourself as no greater than anyone else. But here's these two powerful men, Paul, an apostle of Christ. He says in the very first words, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. Paul has no doubt in his mind that he could order Philemon to do what he wants him to do. And he would expect Philemon to do it. But he says, for love's sake, i rather appeal to you that you do it on your own accord, not my Dictation. So we look at Paul and we see him in many different uh, leadership roles. Sometimes he had to be stern. Sometimes he had to be the corrector. If you notice, uh, many of his writings to some of the churches were sometimes pretty stern. He was he was calling them out on what they were doing wrong and challenging them to examine what was wrong in their lives and their and even their congregation. And so sometimes Paul had to be that stern challenger to correct people but at the same time most of what paul writes are very encouraging words he encourages people to to do what god has enabled them to do i think that's what we need here as well is that god has already enabled us to do anything that he desires us to do but sometimes we just need somebody to say you know you can do this god's already given you the gift He would never call you to do something that he would not enable you to do. So you have the capacity to do it. You just need to trust God and do it. But here we see Paul in kind of a different role. We see Paul as an intercessor. He is interceding between a man that he already knows, Philemon. They met in, we assume they met in uh, Ephesus. As far as we know, Paul's never been to Colossae. But he knows who Philemon is, and we also see the other side of the intercession, and that is Onesimus. Now I know not everybody can be here every Sunday, and this has been a very brief study. This is only our third out of four messages, so let me just kind of walk back through a little bit of the background. We know that Philemon has a slave. His name is Onesimus. Onesimus ran away and he traveled some 1,400 miles to Rome. Why did he go so far? Why didn't he just go to Ephesus? Well, Ephesus is probably too close. Too many people would probably travel there who would see him and know who he was and then capture him and take him back to his master. More than likely, he knew how huge Rome was and that he felt that it was far enough away that he could probably just blend in and start a new life. Well, God has something different in store. Providence of God led him and Paul's past across. We don't know how. We don't know if it was through Epaphras, who was also with Paul, who was a pastor there in Classe at one time. We don't know how, but God caused it to happen. Out of all this huge area of Rome, this man, this runaway slave, Onesimus, crosses the path of Paul, and Paul shares Christ with him. In verse 10 says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Now, Paul often says these types of words when he has led somebody to Christ. He calls him his child. And so he is saying, this is now my child, spiritual child, because he has been given life through Christ. So through the providence of God, they come together and probably doesn't take long. We know that Epaphras is with Paul. More than likely, Epaphras probably recognized Onesimus as being the slave of Philemon. And so there's a giveaway that Paul is now in the possession of a runaway slave. So Paul has this dilemma. He's already led Onesimus to Christ, spent time discipling him because he obviously tells uh, Philemon in this letter, he is of great use to me. So uh, Onesimus is now working alongside of Paul in the ministry, helping him where Paul cannot leave his house because he's under house arrest, but Onesimus can leave and do whatever Paul sends him out to do. So Paul is under this dilemma. What am I going to do? I want to keep Onesimus because he is a great worth to me. Yet I know that legally he has a master and his name is Philemon, who he knows and he knows he needs to send him back to Colossae, to Philemon. So that's Paul's dilemma. Well, by sending Onesimus back, he's going cause another dilemma. So Onesimus returns to his master. We know from uh, the book of Colossians that we just got through studying that Paul sent these letters by Tychicus as well as Onesimus. Those two traveled together. The letter to the church was delivered, and also this letter to this individual, Philemon, was delivered. So they did this in person. Now, Philemon is reading this letter, these 25 verses that we have, and his runaway slave is standing right in front of it. So get that picture in your mind. Okay, here's Philemon's dilemma. Okay, the typical thing to do with a runaway slave was severe punishment, even up to death. A master had full right to do basically anything that he wanted to do. So he's reading this, and Paul is saying, this is now a child of God. What are you going to do, Philemon? Are you going to treat him like a piece of dirt, like just an item that you own? Or because you're a brother in Christ, and now he is a brother in Christ, how are you treat him? So here's Philemon's dilemma. More than likely, there are other slave owners. If he did not punish Onesimus, what would his other fellow men think of him? Would they see him as weak? Would they ridicule him? If he did punish Onesimus, what would it do to his own heart? So he's under a dilemma. What am I going to do now that he's standing in front of me? So we're going to see the answer to that by the end of this. What we see in this passage of Scripture is that Paul basically appeals to Philemon to hear him out, to give him reasons to accept this man back, but also to return him back to Paul. So Paul really appeals in at least five different ways. If you look at verse 8, it begins with the word, therefore. And we've shared about this many times. If you see the word therefore, what is it therefore? It always refers to something that has already taken place. So, if you will, let's go back to verses 5 and 7, and you'll see the appeal that uh, Paul is making towards Philemon. Verse 5 and 7 say, Because I hear of your love and of your faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. And verse 7. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because of the hearts of the saints that have been refreshed through you, my brother. So we look and we see that Paul sees this incredible love and faith in this man named Philemon. He's seen how he has refreshed other saints. What does that mean? It means that he's ministered to whatever needs are there. There are many poor in Colossae. After the earthquake, uh, it devastated their economy. And so there are many people that are just probably hanging on. And he has probably ministered to many. Classe was no longer along the trade routes that it once was. But more than likely, there are still some who would travel through. And more than likely, Philemon opened up his home to provide rest and refreshment to those who travel through. But Paul sees this faith, and this refreshing spirit. And he's appealing to Philemon's. Christian reputation, because obviously he has a reputation there in class a so he is appealing to Philemon's Christian reputation. You're a man of love. You're a man of faith. You're a man that ministers to the needs of others. You are a man that has a strong Christian reputation. Before we move to the next one, I have to, have to ask a question. Who would appeal to us because of our Christian reputation? Do we have a Christian reputation? Is the first question we probably need to ask ourselves. Do other people see the love of Christ? Do they see our faith being lived out each and every day? Do they see us ministering to others to pr- provide refreshing of the spirit when others are down and out and needing ministry to? See, you can't appeal to that if it's not part of you. So the question is, do we have a Christian reputation of love and faith and ministry in the power and name of Christ? So then we see the second. Paul basically appeals to Philemon's Christian love. We've already looked at that a little bit, but look at verse nine. Yet for love's sake, I appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the age, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Yet for love's sake. I appeal to you. Now, the word love here is not just a buddy-buddy love. It's not just a friendship love. It's agape love. That is God's love towards us, which is unconditional. and It's the exact same love that he expects us as Christians to have towards other people. If you remember, man asked Jesus one time, you know, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? And he gave that wonderful parable of the Samaritan good Samaritan, a man despised by many, came along and helped another man out of love, unconditional love. And so we see that love with Philemon. Paul obviously saw it. He saw it. He'd already spoken about it back in verses you know, five and seven. Now he says, and for God's love's sake, I appeal to you. Now, he's saying I'd rather appeal to you because... Again, I have, the, I have the authority to order you to do things, but instead, I want you to do this as an act of love out of the love of Christ that lives in you. Otherwise, don't do it. If you can't do it out of the love of Christ, then there's no need to do it. I could order you, but that's, that's not the way it needs to happen. And so Paul adds a little extra pressure to him. I, I have a feeling Paul knows what he's doing, He does it a little bit subversive. He says, you know, he says, since I am such a person as Paul. Well, that's saying since I'm such a person as an apostle of Christ Jesus named Paul. Then he says the aged. Now, according to most scholars, they're assuming that Paul's probably about 60 years old at this time. You know, look around. That's pretty young for this group, isn't it? But in that day, life expectancy wasn't much more than that. But just think of what Paul had gone through in life. He'd been shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, scourged, imprisoned time and time again. I have a feeling Paul probably looked a little older than his age because of all that he'd gone through. It's only by the grace of God that Paul was even alive. We know that. So Paul is saying, you know, I've gone through many years of torture and pain to be where I am now. He says, oh, and by the way, where I am now is in prison for this very same love. This same love that I've been preaching and sharing with the world around me has caused me to be in prison. Now, if you're a Philemon and you're free, you're over other people, it'd be hard to argue with Paul, wouldn't it? So we look and we see he's appealing for love's sake. Well, same question. Could people look at us and see this unconditional love of Christ flowing through us towards others, regardless of who they are? No matter what their status is in society, could they see this same unconditional love that comes from God living in us and through us towards others? Well, then we come to the third appeal found in verse ten. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Well, the third appeal is basically that Onesimus is not the same man that ran away from Philemon, however many months or years prior. He's not the same person. Because Paul is saying, I have begotten him in my imprisonment. He is my child. Again, that is basically Paul saying, I led him to Christ and he is now my son, my spiritual son in the faith. And so what he is saying is you saw Onesimus as just a person, a slave. He basically had only the worth of his work. You did not see him as a brother in Christ, but now he is. He's not the same person who ran away from you. His life has been changed. He has given his life to Christ. I've been able to disciple him. He is now worthy of what God has called him to do. He is a minister alongside of me, and he is no longer that person that ran away from you. And so what Paul is dealing with is that Onesimus is no longer the same man. So how will Pilemon look at him? So the question we need to ask is, how do we view other Christians who may not be in the same status of society as us? Hmm, Not an easy answer to, uh, question to answer sometimes. Let's be honest, folks. We have some biases. We look at some people because of their status in life and we don't want to associate with them. Is that godly? Is that Christ-like? No. So we look and we see again, God's pretty much challenging us. Look at your own love for others. How are you willing to accept other people in life? that brings us to the fourth appeal. Paul basically appeals to Onesimus' worth. Verses 11 through 14. I'll begin in verse 11. Who formerly was useless to you, but now it's useful both to you and to me. Paul's using a good play on words. The name Onesimus actually means useful. He had been useful to Philemon. He'd been useful as a servant or slave, but as he ran away, he became useless because he was no longer there to do the chores, to do the work that he was expected to do. Now, Paul finds this useless runaway slave, leads him to Christ, and now he has become useful both to Paul and now he's saying he is now useful to you, Philemon. Well, how does this runaway slave become useful just because he comes back as a Christian? Well, let's see what the word of God says. I have sent him back to you in person, that is sending my very heart. Do you get the picture Paul really wants him back he doesn't want Philemon to keep him he's saying he is a great use to me he is very useful to me I'm sending him back to you it's breaking my heart to do it but I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do so that you will do the right thing I, I'm sending him back to you sending my very heart whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. So Paul's painting a picture. Here's why I want him back. I want him to minister to me and minister alongside of me. But here's the kicker. Verse 14. But without your consent, I do not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. As a pastor... I love seeing people say, I see something needs to be done. I'm going to do it. God's just leading me to do something. I'm just going to do it. You don't have to ask the pastor permission to do something godly. You know that, don't you? What is harmful is looking at a need and saying, will you go and do this? It's much greater of a joy in God's eyes for somebody to say, I want to do this instead of being... Told to do it. Do you see the difference? So we need to ask ourselves, are we are we looking at the things of life through God's eyes and seeing the opportunities that He gives us each and every day to be used in some type of ministry, to see a need and minister to that need, to share an encouraging word, to, to provide spiritual counseling, to to bring a meal to somebody who's going through a difficult time? to drive somebody to an appointment that has no other way of getting there? How many different ways could God use us so that we can share God's love with others? And so Paul is basically saying, Philemon, yeah, I could tell you to do it, but I don't want to do it that way. I want you to do it not out of coercion, but from your own heart. And so look at verse 15. And we see another reason. Verse 15 gives us the fifth appeal. Paul appeals to the providence of God. Verses 15 and 16. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but much more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. We don't really talk about the providence of God much. We probably ought to do it more. What is the providence of God? It's really just God working behind the scenes to cause things to happen. And what Paul is saying is, it just might be that God caused these things to happen, that that God may have instilled in uh, Onesimus' heart to run away and to seek freedom just so that he would just happen to travel 1400 miles and just happen to come across my doorstep so that I could just happen to share Christ with him and he would accept salvation and become a disciple of Christ. Now, just think about it for just a second. Here's Onesimus in a very small town in Asia Minor. And for whatever reason, he decides to probably steals some money from Philemon so that he can pay his way, travels to Ephesus, boards a boat, and probably has to make many stops along the way so that he can get to this city, this huge city of Rome, hoping that he can get lost, that nobody would know him there. God had something else in mind, didn't he? Just so happens the two came together and God intervened. Onesimus meets Paul. His life is changed forevermore. Paul does the right thing and sends him back to his owner, Philemon. Now he's asking Philemon to do the right thing. He's saying, Pilemon, look at this. Is there any reason why we should doubt that God has a hand in this? Are we aware that God actually works behind the scenes in our own lives? I don't know how many times I've looked at things, sometimes in the rearview mirror, looking back and seeing how God's worked. I know he has saved my life at least once. When I was in elementary school, I walked to school. It was only about three blocks away, but we lived on a busy street and the sidewalk was on the opposite side of the street. So my mom and dad, We had some neighbors that did not want you to walk through their yards. We had to be on the other side of the street to walk up to across of our house and then cross directly into our driveway. Well, unfortunately there was a big hill that you couldn't always see what was coming over that hill. And so I was standing there and I was looking up at the hill, saw no one coming. looked back, I saw a panel truck coming. And so, I said, as soon as that panel truck gets by, I'm going to take off. Well, as soon as that panel truck went by, I took off. Now I was running. I mean, you can't get real fast from the sidewalk to the middle of the road, but when my foot hit that yellow line, it's like I ran into a brick wall. I stopped, just like that. And a school bus went flying in front of my face. Now folks, I think that's a providence of God that he somehow enabled me to stop on a dime and he saved my life. I don't know how many other ways that God's done things in my life. But think in your own life. Do you see the powerful hand of God working? Do you understand that he is still alive? He is still in power. He still wants to do things in us and through us. Well, Paul's challenging Philemon Look at the powerful hand of God working through this. Could it just be that he is in control of why this took place? I told you that Paul was going to try to solve Philemon's dilemma. Well, here it is. Paul's not demanding anything, but he has shown very clearly he would love to have Onesimus back to serve alongside of him, to minister to him in his imprisonment, but he wants Philemon to do it out of his own heart's desire. Well, here's Philemon's dilemma. What if I decide to keep Onesimus? He's now a brother in Christ. Could I bring myself to punish him severely like any other slave owner probably would do for running away, costing me whatever I lost in his absence? Do I forgive him? do nothing. Well, if I forgive him and do nothing, other owners would be questioning me, why why are you not doing something? He would probably lose face with other men in the community. (laughs) Let's be honest. If other slaves had Christian masters, but they were not Christians, they'd probably say, oh, I'm going to be a Christian so I can get preferential treatment. A lot of dilemmas. So Paul's really giving Philemon An end of a dilemma. Philemon, everything's solved. Just send him back to me. He will still be your brother in Christ forever. Forever. You'll never lose him. He will always be your brother in Christ. And you'll be sending him with your blessings so that he can be useful to God and to me. The underlying theme of this book of Philemon, all 25 verses, is forgiveness. It doesn't take you long to read these 25 verses. Guess what you will not find? You will not find the word forgiveness or forgive in this book. But it's written in the almost every verse there. So what is Paul doing? He's saying, Philemon, I'm appealing you to your heart to forgive. Onismus, and you can only do that through the agape love of Christ. So that's what I'm appealing to you today: is that you allow God, through His love, to flow through you to offer forgiveness, so that uh, so that Onismus can come and be a part of the ministry God's called me to do. The question is: Are we holding grudges? Are we failing to forgive others? Are we not allowing God to let his agape unconditional love flow through us towards others? I shared last week, it's easy for somebody to do something wrong to you and for you to lose sleep over it because you want to think about, how can I get back at this person? Folks, that's as ungodly as you can find. We need to let go and let God we need to surrender it all into God's hands and let God do what is right through us. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, we come to you today realizing that it is only through your love, that unconditional love, that we have salvation. And it is only when we are filled with that love that we can serve you. Help us, Lord, to be found faithful, Lord, just guide us as we respond to your message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.